Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We're back once again with another episode of Now Appalachia, broadcast and distributed across the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I am your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. Our focus and our goal on each podcast is to profile the outstanding authors from Appalachia and talk about how those Appalachian connections influence and impact their works. And we have an outstanding uh, Appalachian author with us today who's got a terrific new book uh, that is just out from Shotgun Honey Press. It is called The Moonshine Messiah, A Mountaineer Mystery. And our guest today is author Russell Johnson. And he is a fiction writer and also a North Carolina attorney. His debut story, Chung Ling Su's Greatest Trick, was published by Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine in January 2015. And it also won the Edgar Awards Robert L. Fish Memorial Prize for Best Short Story by a New Author. Since then, he's published in a, he's been published in a number of outlets and recently won the West Virginia Writers Association's Pearl S. Buck Award, as well as first place for book-length fiction. In addition, he has been a nominee or finalist for the Pushcart Prize, the Claymore Award, and Screencraft's Cinematic Novel Competition. So he's a very accomplished author. He's got a terrific new book that is out, and I am so excited to have him on the program to talk to us about it today. So, Russell, welcome to Now Appalachia. Great to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to ask you first before we get into your book, one of the first things that that caught my attention when I was reading your book, and it's just terrific. There's just so much in here to, to talk about and to tease out that I can't wait to talk to you about it. But one of the first things that caught my attention was Craig Johnson's endorsement. And um, this will be on the front cover of the book for folks who have pre-ordered it or maybe have already picked up a copy of it. Uh, and this is what Craig Johnson says. And he says, like the illegitimate child of Justified and Sons of Anarchy, the Moonshine Messiah leaps off the page with a ratified air of gritty hillbilly realism. And Craig Johnson, of course, is the author of the famed Walt Longmire series, which uh, has sold millions of copies worldwide and was also made into a popular uh, Netflix television show uh, a few years ago. So I want to ask you, Russell, when, when someone like like Craig Johnson, first of all, blurbs your book, reads your book and blurbs it, what's that experience like? And what it's, what's it like to be compared to these outstanding shows like Justified and Sons of Anarchy in terms of having your work compared to those great shows? Well, I mean, it's just, it's a huge honor, you know, especially for uh, an aspiring writer, you know, an up and coming writer to get, you know, the time of day from someone who's, you know, a legend like Craig Johnson. It's just great. And, um, you know, he's someone who, um, despite the last names being the same, no relation. So, you know, we didn't know each other at all. Um, I just kind of uh, got in touch with him and he was, he was kind enough to, you know, said that he was happy to look at the novel. He said the only thing was that he was too old to read on a computer. So I'd have to print it out in hard copy. And so I mailed it to him out in, you know, ranch out in Wyoming and, you know, really thought I, I might never hear from him again. But lo and behold, he sent me this great blurb. And it's just it's really nice when, you know, writers have made it or willing to kind of do that for for an up and coming writer. Uh, and to be compared to Justified is great because that's obviously a huge influence, you know, on this book. 
Fantastic. And I, I'm so glad you said that about uh, reaching out to writers and reaching out or writers reaching out to, to other writers or writers who we think are, you know, in, in another tier by themselves in terms of the work that they've done. Um, were you nervous at all about reaching out to him? Uh, did you think, well, my goodness, what if he thinks I'm I'm just silly for asking him or like you said, doesn't even really want to give me the time of day where how, how did that how did you just muster up the uh, the sort of the, uh, the 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 courage, I guess, for lack of a better term to do that? You know, uh, years ago, I would have been really nervous to do that. You know, I, as a writer, I, I'm an introvert. And so I'm, I'm kind of a shy person by nature. But I've been at the writing thing long enough now where I'm just so used to rejection that I'm just really have very thick skin about the whole thing. And it, it just sort of, you know, like, you know, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right. And so it, it's one of those where I'm at the point now where I just shoot it out and, and see what happens. Yeah, uh, that's a great philosophy because the worst they can say is no. And if they do, you just move on and, and do something else. So very well said. Very well said. Let, let's get into this terrific book, uh, The Moonshine Messiah. And um, well, we, we just got so much going on. And one of the things I loved about this book is, well, you just pull us right into the center of the action from chapter one. I mean, we get to the to the bottom of the second page or the top of the third page, I believe it was. And, and we're introduced to uh um, Mary Beth Kane, who is, uh, we find out as a female sheriff in Jasper County. And not long after uh, we kind of get introduced to her, she's got her gun drawn and she's telling these guys, you better get your hands up or I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to blow your head off. Um, and I, I just love that. And I was wondering, uh, is that something you set out to do from, from the very beginning in terms of kind of dropping the reader in this chaotic situation and letting them kind of figure their way out? Or was was that chapter and kind of that beginning something that happened as you were revising and kind of working on different versions of the first chapter? Um, you know, I think first chapters are, are maybe one of the hardest things to write. And so it's one of those where I'll just kind of start somewhere and then I'll go back and, and revise. And, and I think in this case, Probably what is now chapter two was originally chapter one, you know, and I kind of added a chapter one later. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think to me, I, I'm kind of a very short attention span reader. You know, I'm an ADD person who I'm real quick to to pull the trigger on a book if it doesn't get my attention quickly. And so I, I try to write something that would keep my attention and I figure out I'm about as, as short of attention span reader as there is out there. So uh, that's that's my goal. So if it satisfied you, you were you were good to go. You you felt like if it could keep your attention that uh, other folks reading it would feel the same way. Very good. Very good. Um, one of the things I, I loved about your book, too, in, in so many places, it's very atmospheric in terms of, of Jasper County is really an interesting place. Can you tell us a little bit about Jasper County? What's going on here? What on earth is Mary Beth Kane into? What is she up against? Uh, sort of set the scene for us for this terrific county where so much is going on and has gone on and looks like it's going to be continuing to go on in the future. Sure. And so, you know, Jasper County uh, kind of exists in relation to McRae County, which is the neighboring county. And so, um, you know, Mary Beth uh, is someone who grew up initially in McRae County, which is sort of an old coal mecca, you know, that like a lot of coal country is really on its last legs. You know, the population has been drained by technology and other things um, that that have taken the coal jobs away. And she's someone who, who grew up really in a criminal family. And so she's always struggled to try to create order out of chaos. And she rebelled against her criminal family so much so that she married the sheriff in the neighboring county. And when he, he died, she stepped in to take over as sheriff. And she's been able, although she's rebelled from her family, she still has some loyalty to them and has never been able to totally cut ties with them, which has caused her a lot of, of problems. 
Um, but she's been able to maintain sort of a little bit of a, a somewhat peaceful relationship because they're in the separate county and their family kind of keeps their business to McRae County while she's in Jasper. But now the, the McRae County has had such a population drain to the point that it's actually being annexed into Jasper County. And so she's no longer able to keep her, her criminal family separate. You know, they're about to become part of her jurisdiction. And that's just one of the, the many tensions that are kind of coming to a head in this story. And I love the twist that we have in terms of this the, this sort of hillbilly crime syndicate, for lack of a better phrase, that emerges early on in the book. Because one of the things we learn quickly is that Mary Beth's mother, Mamie, is running that criminal syndicate. What kind of relationship ship do they have? And, and where is Mary Beth in this stance against her mother, who, you know, despite uh, all of her issues, is still her mother? Kind of what is that relationship like? What do we see as that uh, little twist that you put in there? How does that unfold as the book progresses? So I think, you know, that's one of the main themes of Mary Beth's life is that she and her mother are so much alike that they can't stand each other. Uh, and I think one of the things, you know, although Mary Beth is technically on the side of the law, she uses a lot of the skills that she learned growing up in a criminal family to achieve what she believes are just ends. You know, she's a very Machiavellian person of the means justify the ends. You know, she often uh, errs sort of on the side of almost a vigilante, vigilante sense of justice. But I think, you know, sort of the question that haunts her is, you know, what is the line that I won't cross that my mother would, you know, where she, she views her mother as almost a, as basically a sociopath. But others could view her as as also someone who just grew up in very difficult circumstances and used the skills that you know were that she had and the opportunities that were available to her to to you know protect her family and achieve things. And um, you know everyone's the hero of their own story. And so I, I'm sure in, in Mamie's mind she's the hero of her own story, even though she's really the antagonist of of Mary Beth's story. And I love how Mary Beth just has. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to say a, a quick trigger or a quick fuse or a short fuse, but she does. I was talking a moment ago about that, about that scene where she pulls those, that, that, that driver over and just says, look, you better, better get out with your hands up or I'm going to blow your head off. I mean, there's no hands up, uh, show me your ID, any of this kind of thing. And I know some of this carries back to, 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 to Jasper County and what you were talking about there with kind of the, the, the sort of the, the cultural makeup of the County and what's going on there. But uh, she really just does not suffer fools lightly. Um, and I love that about her because while that you were talking about this a moment ago too, while that serves her well, it also kind of gets her into a little bit of trouble from time to time. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how sometimes that, that hot headed, uh, sort of, uh, you know, shoot and ask questions later kind of persona gets her, uh, into some trouble as the story unfolds. Yeah. I mean, she, she is definitely hot tempered, you know, she's someone who, you know, she she's a woman and what has traditionally been a man's role and what is you know a pretty masculine culture uh part of the world and so she's really gotten by pretty far with attitude you know as opposed to kind of physical strength and um although she she can she has some physical strength too uh, I, mean, I actually wrote this book initially before the ozark series came out but i often think of if if julia garner's character in ozark had grown up to be the sheriff you know that's kind of how I imagine Mary Beth in retrospect. Um, but so she's someone who who gets some great results. She's very brave. She you know, she is protective of the people of her county, you know, like like an animal, like a you know, lion protecting her cubs. Um, but because she often bends the rules and is hot tempered, I mean, she's almost always landing herself in a mess. And as this story is starting out, she's already under 
uh, investigation by the feds for for suspicion of corruption, violating people's civil rights, and, and a lot of other things that that make her job a lot harder. Yeah. And one of the things I love too, sort of a, another twist in the story, and, and I love this just when we kind of get settled into uh, sort of a rhythm with with a couple of chapters here and there, you you give us another dimension or another twist to kind of make things uh, more interesting and interesting to follow, but also to complicate uh, Mary Beth's life. And she gets a visit from someone, uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Patrick Connolly, who she has uh, a history with. Um, tell us a little bit about their relationship and what is it that Patrick kind of dangles in front of Mary Beth uh, to sort of get her to pay close attention to him? So Patrick is kind of the guy that was supposed to be the love of Mary Beth's life. You know, he, he was her big high school boyfriend, the one that she always kind of saw herself being with when she grew older. But they ended up, uh, they broke they broke up, you know, Cat, Patrick was going places. He, he wanted to to leave West Virginia, Mary Beth did not, you know, she was very loyal to West Virginia. Um, and Patrick is someone who wanted her to break ties with kind of her villainous family, which Mary Beth was also unable to do. Uh, and so they've been estranged for 20 some years, you know, Mary Beth's already been married and widowed uh, by someone else. And at this time where she is under investigation by the feds, her old boyfriend, who was a, an assistant U.S. attorney, uh, looking to work his way back into her, her heart has worked out a deal that would wipe her slate clean if she just do one little thing, which is to go and arrest her brother, who is the leader of this anti-government militia that's causing the feds headaches. And, uh, you know, that's something that, that she doesn't really want to do until uh, her brother pushes things to where uh, a standoff or a, a confrontation with the feds is almost inevitable. And so she's basically forced to try to go and arrest her brother to keep the peace. Excellent. Excellent. So much going on there. And that's such a unique relationship, too, because, you know, they, they have the history, as, as we talked about. And and I just love there's moments there when <clears throat> they're having diet, they're having conversation and Patrick is pitching this offer to her. You can almost just imagine Mary Beth sort of with this look on her face and kind of like stepping away and backing away from him thinking, you know, is is this real? What are you doing here and, and why now and all of that? Uh, which I think just feeds in so well to, you know, the role that she has as the sheriff and just kind of her nature as a character in general. I just loved those scenes. I felt like those scenes were just were just so, so good because here's Patrick coming in, trying to do this sort of the the the, the right thing, kind of the white knight riding in from the attorney side. And Mary Beth's like, well, wait a minute, you know, we have a history here and I'm just not real sure what, you know, that the work, this is going to work and all that kind of thing. So I, I love that sort of quiet tension that kind of builds under everything that they do and say with one another. I think it's really, really great. And um, I wondered, is is that something from us, from a writer's perspective, um, did you feel like that tension would needed to be there between those two? Or as the dialogue was happening and as you were writing those scenes, it just sort of naturally flowed together uh, for, for them to kind of have or her to have this kind of quiet suspicion of him? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm one of those writers who, you know, people talk about plotters or pantsers, you know, I, I mean, I do plot a little bit, like I kind of have an idea of a plot in my head. Um, but I, I kind of just like start hitting the keys and see what, you know, see what happens, you know, try to let the characters talk and, and, and just let it go from there. So, um, you know, maybe it's cause I'm a lawyer. I'm used to cross-examining people. My one-on-one -on -one conversation <laughs> kind of turns into a confrontation just naturally that way. 
Very good. The title of the book we are talking about today is called The Moonshine Messiah, A Mountaineer Mystery. Our guest is author Russell Johnson. And Russell, we'll go back to the book uh, here uh, in just a second. And you, you touched on something that I was going to ask you about uh, as well, and that is your career uh, as an attorney. How does that fuel some of the writing that you do from a creative perspective in terms of plots and characters and storylines? Because um, I know as an attorney, you do a lot of writing, but it's a different kind of writing. So how does your career fuel maybe your creative side and maybe vice versa? Maybe your creative side also fuels your uh, the legal writing side that you have to do. How do all those sort of play off of each other? You know, I mean, there are there are a lot of writers who are uh, a lot of attorneys who have tried to be writers or become writers. And, you know, I think part of it is the skills translate in the sense that, especially if you're a trial lawyer like I am, I mean, you're you're a storyteller. And, and a lot of what you try to do is take something that's really complicated and be able to explain it so that, you know, a jury of lay people can understand it and also try to keep them, you know, engaged and captivated and things like that. So the skills definitely translate. Um, but also, I think just the the life of a lawyer is so stressful. You really need some escape. To manage it and that's you know I, I knew that i always wanted to be a writer but i i'd done a good job of keeping on the back burner for a long time until i think my stress level got to a point where i just i needed that escape that outlet to kind of manage you know the day the day-to-day -day lawyer existence very well said very well said who are some some writers or books that influence you and inspire you uh, what's, well, you know, it's different stages of my life. I've gone through, you know, different people, um, you know, very early on, I was a big Tolkien fan. Um, I, I went through a big uh, John Grisham, Scott Turow, you know, legal thriller phase. I mean, I'm probably a lawyer because of John Grisham. Um, but, uh, you know, more recently, uh, Elmore Leonard is certainly a huge influence uh, on me. Um, uh, John D. McDonald uh, is a huge influence. Um, with current writers, uh, Michael Connolly is really big. Uh, Gillian Flynn, um, Karen Slaughter uh, is really excellent. Um, I just read this great book by William Landay, which was really good. Um, so it's it's pretty wide ranging. But I, if I had to pick, you know, one writer overall, I would say Elmore Leonard is probably the one that I, I kind of think of as my my favorite writer. Excellent. Yeah, and we've had a lot of. Uh mystery and thriller authors over the years here on the program have talked about Elmore Leonard in terms of uh, someone who's either work inspired them uh, early on in their career as a writer, or like you're saying, in this case, someone who you kind of always look back to uh, as you're working on a project or thinking about him constantly in the back of your mind as you're putting a, a story together or a plot together. So that leads to my next question in terms of uh, writing. How, how do you find time to write? What's your writing process like? Because you are an attorney and you've got so much work that has to be required of that profession. When do you write? How do you write? How long does it take you from the time you get an idea in your head of something that you want to make uh, into a book? How long does it take that to translate into maybe a first draft? Well, you know, my process has changed quite a bit. You know, I started you know, it was one of those things like I was going to write a book by the time I was 30. Right. And, but maybe by around like age 33, I actually got started you know, trying to do it. And it was when uh, we found out um, that my wife was pregnant with our second child that I, I just told myself, hey, if I don't write a book before this child is born, you know, life is just going to get in the way and I'm never going to do it. And so I got out my calendar and I count out 100 days and I got up at 430 every morning and wrote a thousand words a day, you know, until I hit a hundred thousand words. And then I had a novel and it sucked. I mean, it was, it was terrible, <laughs> but, 
but I knew I could do it and I'd kind of caught the bug. Right. And so, you know, I used to have to be very routine about getting up doing in the morning before work. Now I, I write whenever, wherever, um, you know, I don't, I don't write every day, you know, when I'm on a project and I've got momentum, I keep pushing and pushing and, you know, I, I could turn out an initial draft in six months, but uh, then I might, I might take a couple of months off after that. And then, you know, start another project, come back, revise. I mean, I've, I've been at long enough now where I've always got, you know, two or three projects in different stages that I'm working on. Excellent. 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 Russell Johnson is our guest here on the program today. The title of his brand new book is called The Moonshine Messiah, A Mountaineer Mystery. And uh, we'll go back to the book and talk a little bit more about that. We were talking a moment ago before we kind of segued into uh, your writing process and your career and all of that. We were talking about the offer that um, is made to uh, Mary Beth when uh, her former high school sweetheart, U.S. Assistant uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Patrick Conley comes in and says, hey, um, we, everything can be wiped clean. All this corruption investigation goes away uh, if you will arrest Sawyer. Well, that doesn't go quite as planned because Sawyer's followers come along and they blow up a federal courthouse uh, in response to sort of uh, Mary Beth's pushing and trying to you know, wrap, you know, ascertain him and find out what he's up to. That sets off a whole other chain of events, which I think is some of the, the, the best and most fast-paced work of the novel towards the end after that courthouse blows up. What, what happens when the courthouse blows up? Who shows up? And, and what kind of trouble does Mary Beth find herself in uh, when all that happens? You know, that's, I think that's really the point where Mary Beth has no choice but to try to intercede because you know, Sawyer and his people, they really they want a confrontation. I mean, they're looking to provoke the federal government. And, and the federal government is looking to make an example out of Sawyer and people of his ilk. You know, they really want to squash them like bugs. So, you know, other people won't have copycat uh, scenarios. And so, you know, she she's at this point where, you know, they're they're ready for a, a Waco, you know, Ruby Ridge type showdown uh, unless she can stop it. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things I think a lot of times, you know, especially in sort of the raging culture wars we have now. You know, where the, it, things have become so binary and so, you know, so heated. You have like these people in the middle, like Mary Beth, who's not really political. You know, she just wants to protect the people she loves. And it's like she's trying to hold these two massive opposing forces apart. And so that's that's a big part of the, the plot of this book. What do you think she learns about herself? Not only as a woman, as you mentioned, she's a woman occupying a traditionally male dominated profession in terms of being a sheriff. But. What do you think she learns about herself as a person? What do you think she learns about her role as a law enforcement officer by the time we get to the end of the book? And I, I don't want to give away the ending because it's just it's just terrific. But it, it, as you look back on her, because my understanding is you're, you're thinking about uh, or you're working on a sequel to this book. So uh, as you think about kind of where she is at the end of the book from where she was at the beginning, how does how does she change and grow? What does you think she learns about herself uh, as a person and maybe as a law enforcement officer by the time? All of this is resolved. And again, we won't give away the ending, but by the end, what do you think she's learned? You know, I mean, that's a good question. I think one of the things I kind of like about Mary Beth is she's stubborn. You know, she she is someone who, who I, I don't I think she would tell herself that she's learned that she's not the same as her mother, that there is a clear line that her mother will cross that she won't cross. And that's certainly true. Um but I, I don't think that by the end of the book, she's completely disavowed of her vigilante ways, because I think she also looks at, you know, the flip side of the coin of 
of the federal government or law enforcement people and sees that there are a lot of people who, although, you know, they, they don't technically break the rules, uh, you know, they're, they're not always righteous <laughs> in their pursuits. And so I, I think Mary Beth does kind of leave this book still thinking that her, her kind of moral code as complicated as it is might be the middle way through, uh, through just people seeing, you know, someone is just viewed as strictly a criminal versus uh, the, it's kind of heavy-handed response to those people. Yeah, and she she kind of has to be that way, doesn't she? Because she is sort of the the only law enforcement officer that's kind of holding the the the, the threads of this county and these and these factions and these people, the you know the syndicates and the and just the ordinary citizens that are trying to do. I mean, she's trying to hold all this together, you know, by by threads. And in some ways, if she used sort of by the book, tried and true traditional methods things would fall apart or these, uh, these crime syndicates, you know, her mother would, would run all over her. And so I, I, I feel like she has to be that way. Do, do you feel that way too, that she has to kind of, uh, kind of straddle this, I don't want to say anti-hero role, but she, she can't, she can't play everything by the book as a law enforcement officer. You know, she can't certainly go rogue, obviously, but she has to, you know, she, she's got so much that she's trying to keep, you know, sort of in balance that if she did everything by the book, she would get run over. Do, do, do you feel that way? Or is that a fair assessment to make about her too? I think so. I mean, I think she certainly feels that way. Um, and uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think she is, she is a pretty effective person at doing a really difficult job. And, you know, her, she would say, you know, her head busting ways, although they get her into trouble sometimes, it's also what allows her, you know, to do her job, to have the, the respect that she needs. Um, to, to get things accomplished. So we teased this a moment ago, and uh, this will lead me into my next question. Uh, what are you working on next? I understand you've got uh, several books uh, in the pipeline in various stages of development and, and revision and drafting and all of that. So tell us about what you've got uh, coming down the road in terms of books. And uh, again, I understand we maybe have another uh, sequel to The Moonshine Messiah in the works. I'm hoping, uh, hoping so. I, I've already written uh, what would be book two of the series, and I'm talking to Shotgun Honey to see if they're they're interested in publishing that one as well. I'm hoping they are, and um, sort of have a third one plotted out in my head that I would get started on. And then I've uh, also um, finished a legal thriller not too long ago that's totally unrelated to this series. That um, I have an agent who's who's subbing that out right now. Fantastic. Congratulations to all of that. That's that's terrific. So, uh, Russell, in our final moments with you today, if anyone wants to uh, follow you and stay in contact with you in terms of what you're up to, not just with the Moonshine Messiah, but with these upcoming projects and where they are in the various stages, how can they follow you and keep up with what you have going on? And then more importantly, where can they get copies of the Moonshine Messiah? Um, so you can find me on my website, which is russellwjohnson.com. I've got to put the W in there because if not, if you just Google Russell Johnson, you get the professor from Gilligan's Island and <laughs> that's, that's not me. Um, so RussellWJohnson.com. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, at RWJESQ, which is a joke. I used to try to make my wife call me Esquire when I became a lawyer and she wouldn't do it. Um, and then the book, um, it's May 20, uh, May 26th, it officially releases. So it'll be available on Amazon, all those places. Uh, you can get it uh, directly from the publisher at shotgunhoney.com. And then uh, we're hoping to have it in uh, independent bookstores throughout West Virginia and some other places throughout Appalachia. The title of the book is called The Moonshine Messiah, A Mountaineer Mystery. 
a really, really terrific story uh, about a female sheriff in a West Virginia Coalfields County. Her name is Mary Beth Kane. And to say that her life is complicated by a variety of different factors is, is really an understatement. But it, it is a terrific read, a gripping read. It'll grab you uh, right from the very first chapter, and it won't let you go till you get to the very end. And our guest has been the author of The Moonshine Messiah, A Mountaineer Mystery, Russell Johnson. Russell, uh, congratulations on this book. Really, really terrific. Folks that uh, uh, like Appalachia and like good Appalachian crime mysteries and crime thrillers are going to find this one just right up their alley. So congratulations on it. Uh, and we look forward to the uh, sequel when it comes out. Uh, and when it does, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So uh, congratulations and thanks for the conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out and a thanks to the executive producer of our program. Her name is Pam Stack. We could not bring these episodes to you across the various uh, podcast platforms without all the work that she does behind the scenes. So thank you, Pam, for that. This is also a reminder to you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And that will do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.